Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from the book of Genesis how Abraham was too strong and how God wanted to use him, but in a weaker state for communion with God and his presence, just as God did to Gideon against his enemies. Now, this message, as well as all messages from Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program, with the Old Testament teaching that Tom Cantor does, all of those messages, past, present, and future, are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Go there, download, or listen to the messages for free from the past all the way to the present and even our future messages that we'll post there. You can also go alternatively to iTunes.com and find and search for the Friendship with God podcast, and you'll be able to download all the Friendship with God messages there or listen to them for free through iTunes.com. And we get so many compliments about Tom Cantor and his dynamic speaking and teaching different from any radio host that's out there and his ability to communicate the Old Testament in modern-day expression. So if you enjoy Tom Cantor's teaching and the Friendship with God radio program, we want to encourage you to support it, to stay on this station, on this city where you're listening. And to do so, you can go directly to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also set up a monthly reoccurring donation to support this radio program. Or you can do it by calling us directly, and we can do that over the phone, a one-time gift, or, again, a monthly donation amount, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, call us now or after the program, 1-800-247-3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham. And speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter said... Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said to Thomas in John 20, 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So in other words, he says to Thomas, just only because you saw that you believed. That's that. But he says, you know, it's better. He says, you believe without seeing. And that's what we see here, this 13-year span in Abraham's faith. It's not based on the experience of having a fresh vision of the Lord. And neither should our faith be based on an experience because faith is the substance of things not seen. It's the thing hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, as a matter of fact, Keep that 13-year span in mind, and we read now in Genesis 17, 1, and Abraham was 90 years old and 9, and Abraham appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, be thou perfect. So it's been a long, at least 13 years, that Abraham hasn't seen God, and after those 13 years, we read that he's now 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him. Now, first, when God appears to him now, in this verse 1, God reveals to Abraham a new name for himself. He says, I am the Almighty God. That's a new name in Hebrew, El Shaddai. God tells Abraham that he is the all-powerful. It means Shaddai. All-powerful. He's the omnipotent God. And here we see that Abraham, he's 99 years old. Now, when most men reach 99, I can't even imagine it. <laughs> for, you know, but we all kind of look for the comfortable rocker on the porch, you know, a little bit of this drug, a little bit of that drug, whatever, and settle in for the final approach and landing, you know. But a man who's 99 years old really feels his age. I mean, I feel my age. And so there's one word 
to describe how a person feels when he's 99 years old. He feels worn out. <laughs> he feels weak. Turn to Psalm 38.10. There's a great description here of how you feel when you, you get old. And I'm not even that old, but I feel old. But anyway, Psalm 38.10. Now here King David is describing in Psalm 38.10. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it's also gone from me. Now this is a real, real woe list. <laughs> and we all have our woe lists. And when you get to be 99, you've got a long woe list. You know, this is like the patient, the Psalm 38.10. This is like the patient who sits down with the doctor, and the doctor sits in his chair, and he gets his pen in his hand, and he gets ready to write down everything that's wrong in the patient's chart. And so the doctor starts off, and he says to the patient, now, what seems to be the problem? You know, like he's really listening. No, but anyway. So in Psalm 38.10 is what the patient says. And notice the list that's in Psalm 38.10. We can picture the patient replying to the doctor. Well, to start off with, there's my heart. And the doctor says, your heart. The patient says, yes, my heart. The doctor says, what's wrong with your heart? And the patient says, my heart panted. You know? And so the doctor writes down arrhythmia. <laughs> and then the doctor says, what else? And the patient says, my strength. And the doctor says, your strength. And the patient says, yes, my strength. And the doctor says, what's wrong with your strength? And then the patient says, my strength faileth me. So the doctor writes down asthenia. Yeah, that's what it is. And then the doctor says, anything else? And the patient says, like it says, it's Psalm 38.10. It's the patient says, mine eyes. You, know, you see that in Psalm 38.10? It doesn't say, my eyes. It says, mine eyes. You know why it says mine eyes? Because this is obviously an old Ashkenazic Jewish woman. And she says, mine eyes. That's, she didn't know that they, she would never say my eyes. She'd say, mine eyes. <laughs> Oi, mine eyes. Uh, doctor, are you writing this down? Write this down. Uh, as for the light of mine eyes, it also, you know, make sure you write that down. It also has gone from me. So Psalm 38.10 is a description of Abraham being 99 years old. It's weak, weak, weak with lots of physical problems, a long list, a long woe list. And so that's very significant when we think about this. In verse 1, when it says, and Abraham was 99 years old, and he might as well be saying Abraham was a very weak man, very weak man. So in this great weakness of Abraham, we read these wonderful words. When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him. And the way verse 1 reads, we can just rephrase it to say, and when Abraham was a very weak man, the Lord appeared to him. The way verse 1 reads is as if God was waiting for Abraham to be very weak to appear to him with this great new revelation that he's going to give. So here in the life of Abraham, Abraham is about to have this highlight of his life. He's about to have a pinnacle in his life. And God's going to appear to Abraham and reveal a new name for God to him. In fact, several names. But God waits till Abraham is very weak to do it. And that's what God does to us. That's what he does to us. Because as if God's saying, as if God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I was wanting to appear to you earlier and give you this great blessing in the past. But Abraham, you were too strong for me to do that. And I needed you in a weak state. And that's what God does for us. We receive the greatest blessings of the times that we spent with God, the communion, the sweetest times of his presence when we're weak. Why? Because of what it says in Job 12, 21. He weakeneth the strength 
of the mighty. God weakeneth the strength of the mighty. As if, as if God's saying, you're too strong. You're too mighty for me to give you this great blessing. I need, I need to weaken your strength. Job 12, 21. Job 12, 21. God weakeneth the strength of the mighty. And that's what God did with Gideon. Gideon, you might want to turn to this. Judges 7, 1 through 7. It's a very interesting passage here that Gideon, and you know this, of what happened here. It says in this passage, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harad, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. So we can figure out what that means. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people yet are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I'll try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I shall say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whosoever I say unto thee, It shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. The Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth him. He set by himself, likewise everyone that boweth himself on his knees. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 that lapped, will I save you. Deliver the Midianites into thine hand. But all the other people go everywhere, man, to his own place. So that's a huge, huge group of the enemies of Israel. They're described in uh, Judges 6.33. It says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of East were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. And so there were so many of Israel's enemies that were gathered together. Midianites, Amalekites, children of East. And they spread themselves out over this big valley of Jezreel, which spreads out from the north and to the east, from starting from Mount Carmel. And that valley of Jezreel is the same as the valley of Armageddon. It's a huge valley. It's actually part of the great Rift Valley that starts north there and runs all the way down, goes to Ethiopia. So, you know, of course, the most intelligent place for Scanabodies to build their facility is right in the middle of the Rift Valley, right? <laughs> it's because it's going to flood with water someday anyway. So this great valley of Jezreel is just covered with the enemies of Israel, of Israel, the Jewish people, and they're determined to destroy them. And here's Gideon, and he's preparing his army to fight against them, and Gideon is, is he's scared out of his mind. He's just, he's so afraid. What is he ever going to do? And he needs to make sure that God is really with him in this. So he asked God for the sign, you remember, to help him be assured that God's really going to save the enemies. He asked, says to God, tonight, please make the ground dry, make the fleece wet. And he does that. And then God does that. And Gideon is still scared out of his mind. And so he says to God, okay, the next night, don't get angry. He says to God, don't get angry. That's very smart. Remember the <laughs> first principle in life, don't make God mad? All right, so he says, don't get angry. He says, but tonight, make the fleece dry in all the ground. Well, he does that. So he's, this is some kind of an assurance for Gideon. I don't know. You see, I can just picture him walking there and says, you know, the fleece was wet, the fleece was dry. The fleece was wet, the fleece <laughs> Somehow this gives him. You know. And so now he's got this big army of 32,000 men, and God tells him, for, he says, anyone who's scared, go home. So he says, anybody scared, go home. So 22,000 go home. 
And Gideon thinks to himself, well, I'm scared. God didn't tell me if I could go home, you know. <laughs> and he looks at the remaining 10,000 and he says, I have 10,000 liars. <laughs> I know they're all scared, but they're lying. And then he goes through this, this next culling exercise. And he's left with just 300 men. 300 men to defeat him. What's that all about? The two cullings going from the 32,000 men down to 10,000 and down to 300. Well, God said the principle behind the cullings in verse 2. It says, the Lord said it again, the people that are with thee are too many for me. They're too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves. So the Lord says they were too many for God. And then the second calling, he said again in verse 4, the people are yet too many. And then he says, you know, he goes to the destination of 300. Now, what's very important is to see there is that the principle that they were too many to give, to repeat it again and again, is that why was 32,000 too many? And why was 10,000 too many? Lest Israel vaunt themselves, he said, against me, saying, mine own hand, save me. So God's principle is to make the victory crystal clear. This was God who did it. Because he didn't want Israel to vaunt, and the Hebrew word is ar, which means to glorify. It's the word that comes from a root, which means to adorn or put jewelry on. It's like, this is a word that's used in Hebrew, where the tree, when it emerges from the winter time to the springtime, and it comes out with all those beautiful blossoms and flowers and, and, and leaves, that's the word. So he doesn't want Israel to walk around like a tree that's come out of winter and walk up and down and say, you see this hand, everybody? Isn't this a beautiful hand? This hand delivered me from the Midianites. That's what happened. So he says, I won't tolerate that. God says, I won't tolerate that because I want to make it crystal clear. So he says, you know, I'm going to cut you down to just 300. Now, this principle is also described in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, where Paul says, look at yourselves, he says in the church. Look at yourself. You see your calling? You know, there's not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. You feel real good now? <laughs> God has just called you the foolish things of the world. To confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. Okay, we agree with that. God chose a 99-year-old man who's a weak with a lot of woldest. And to confound the things that are mighty, to confuse them. And base things of the world. It's getting better, isn't it? And things which are despised. God's talking about us. God chosen, yea, and things which are not. To bring to not, zero, the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. He hates that. God will not tolerate a pa'ar, a glorying in his presence. He said in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He said in Isaiah 48, 11, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. How should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. So, if Israel or any of us walk around and say, look at me, I did this. Then God said, you polluted my name, and I won't tolerate it. You polluted my name. So, therefore, he weakeneth 
the strength of the mighty. He weakened Gideon's army till the victory would be clearly seen as his. He weakens Abraham by letting him get to 99 years old. He weakens so that when he brings a deliverance, there's only one person who gets the glory. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, 2001, you know the story, maybe you don't. We were accused by the $6 billion Quest Diagnostics. They accused me of infringing their patent, but that was only because I just accused them of killing patients. Apart from that, everything was fine. You know? <laughs> I accused them of knowingly deceiving the doctors and patients about their faulty PTH test that resulted in harm to patients. And so the consequence, they waged a frivolous patent infringement case against us. Suit against the antibodies in 2002. So where are we? After 25 years of being in business, we only had a million dollars in the bank. And our legal fees were $8 million. We had to write checks for $8 million. So how do you write checks for $8 million for your lawyers when you only have a million dollars in the bank? See? That's called a weak position. <laughs> okay. And we had to come up with, we were building, our first building at Ducati, and that was costing $8 million. So we needed a loan from the bank. And before we got sued, everything was kosher. They were going to give us the loan. But after we got sued, then our bank says to us, you know, like the tuna, sorry, Charlie. He says, no loan for you. you know, we don't make loans for legal fees. So that's also called a weak position. You know? So after five years of being in and out of court and legal and law offices and depositions in German, because the patent was in German, and in English, and nobody is minding the shop, you know, so to speak. Nobody's minding the shop. <laughs> We're just tuned. But after five years, we finally won the patent case. Took an appeal, but we finally won. Miraculously, during that time, we stayed out of debt. Well, we really didn't have any choice. God knew that. So the Lord Jesus Christ, during that time, he rained profits on us. And we got $15 million in excess profits when we weren't minding the shop. Now, that's not normal. Right? I mean, we were 25 years, we're minding the shop, we got $1 million. And five years of nine, not, not minding the shop, and we got $15 million. Okay? You know what that means? We're not necessary. <laughs> no, that's what that means is, that's clearly the hand of God. That's God, par. That's God who gets the glory. That's God's ornamentation. That's God's beauty. See? Because he had to strip us down where we're sitting in a conference room and the lawyers say, well, it'll cost you two to three million dollars to defend yourself. And we're already figuring two to three million dollars. We only have a million dollars. And the, the builders say, hey, and you owe us eight million dollars. Oh, and then the lawyers end up, like I said, it costs us eight million dollars. So that two to three, that was code. Every, <laughs> every time we were going through this case, our lawyers kept saying, how's business? How's business? I thought, why are they so interested in our business? <laughs> so they could charge us more. That's how they charged us for $8 million. But anyway, but God took care of us during all the time. He stripped us down. He weakened us to have nothing before he defeated uh, Quest for us. God stripped Abraham down to be 99 years old. God stripped Gideon's army down to just 300. And this is the background to keep in mind when we come to Genesis 17.1. So it was then... That's why it says when. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine. That means then. <laughs> so chapter 17 is really a chapter where God reveals 
this wonderful things. And all these things are going to happen in chapter 17 through new names. God is going to reveal a new name. He starts off in verse 1, and God reveals a new name for himself when he says, I am the Almighty God. Then in verse 5, God is going to reveal a new name for Abram. It's going to be Abraham, as you know. And then in verse 15, God is going to reveal a new name for Sarai. And then we're going to see in verse 19, God reveals the new name for the child that's not even born yet. It's going to be called Isaac. And then in verse 20, God's going to explain further the name of Ishmael. So this is a chapter of names. And only when you follow the names, then you understand what the chapter's all about. It's a chapter where God is going to reveal more fully his plans, his purposes, and he reveals this through names, by giving new names and explaining what they mean. So the key to understanding this chapter is follow the names. Follow the names that God gives in the explanation. So the first understanding that we have to come to is in the first verse where God says, I am the Almighty God. So, in other words, when Abraham's 90 years old and 90, the Lord appears to him. It's exactly what Paul meant in the weakened state there. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I sought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. These verses in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10... They could be said about Abraham. Abraham can repeat these verses. He can say, lest I, Abraham, should be exalted above measure through all the miracles that God has already done for me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It's called being 99 years old. That was my thorn in the flesh. And so Abraham can say, but it was all worth it because when I was weak, then I was strong. So a new name for that God gives in this state of weakness that's never been before in the Bible is this, as we said, is this word El Shaddai. Because God in his all-powerfulness is able to do everything that he's promised here in this chapter. And that's why the name is so important. He's going to do all this. He's going to accomplish all this because he's the omnipotent God. And so then God tells Abraham, now, I'm the almighty God, and your job, Abraham, is to walk before me and be thou perfect. So God is telling Abraham, you need to take a particular position with me. God did not tell Abraham, walk beside me, where Abraham could look and say, oh, there's God. I'm walking right next to him. There he is. Whenever I need to see him, I just look to my side and I see him. There's God. But God did not tell Abraham to walk behind him, where Abraham could always say, well, there he is, right in front of me. I'm just following along. I can see him anytime I want. I just lift up my eyes. There's God. But God told Abraham to walk before him, walk in front of God, with God behind him. And when God called Abraham to walk so that God was behind him, God meant that Abraham, you don't turn around. You just know I'm there. You don't turn around and you don't look because you know I'm there. And you go, 13 years, you're not going to see me, but just keep on walking in front of me. I'm behind you. Don't turn around. That's a picture of faith, to walk before God without seeing God, but knowing that God is behind and watching us That's the picture of faith. That's how Joseph was able, by walking before God, to resist the seduction of Potiphar's wife when it says 
in Genesis 39, 8 through 9, it talks about Joseph. He said, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. It says, into my hand. See, he wasn't Jewish Ashkenazi. He said, my hand. <laughs> anyway, there is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, to walk before God, it changes the life. That's what will keep us, Donna says, keep us to have short accounts with God. To walk before God is to realize that every wrong thought that we think that's seen by God instantly, he sees it because he's behind us. And that all causes us to immediately confess, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, I'm sorry. Keep a short account with God. So when God told Abraham to walk before him, Abraham adopted this concept, this mentality of himself. I'm walking before God. That's how Abraham thought of himself from this point forward for the rest of his life. I am walking in front of God. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor has a great two-disc DVD production of the Passover, its personal relevance, and we are offering that as our resource of the month for you, the listener, to help support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you this powerful DVD teaching from Tom Cantor on the Passover that's just a few weeks away. It's a great gift for any Christian or unbeliever at Easter and Passover time, and a great gift to give to a lost Jewish person or someone that you know that's searching for the evidence of who Jesus Christ is from the Scriptures. This is out of Isaiah 53 and Exodus 12. It can be yours today for a donation of $20 or more. Call us now, 1 800 247 3051. 1 800 247-3051. Again, that's 1-800-247-3051. You can also go directly to friendshipwithgod.org. You can order it online. And please join us tomorrow again at this same time.